0: Father, we're grateful for this day that we can celebrate freedom, freedom in our country, but most of all, freedom in you. Thank you for the freedom that you grant us, and thank you for the love that you share with us. And Father, I pray that we will do our part to continue to help America be one nation under God. We love you, and we thank you for your presence in this place today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You might as well remain standing. We're gonna greet one another in just a second. I'm just gonna welcome you and thank you for joining us for worship today. If you're a guest, we welcome you today. And I would ask that you look at that QR code in front of you, take your camera, and it will take you to a connect card, prayer requests. I think you wanna greet each other. Just go ahead and greet one another. As well. And now you join together as we sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty.
1: thou art holy, there is thy
0: may be seated we're so honored to have alma randolph with us today i'd called alma earlier and i said alma can you possibly as a late notice really can you come on july the fourth she said absolutely so alma come and lead us in worship this morning thank you for being here we're always thrilled to have you with us
2: Why should the shadows come, why should my heart
0: I'm telling you, I love my dear friend, Alma. Alma, thank you for leading us so beautifully. Y'all stand and join as we continue to <laughs> worship together.
3: Jesus, and He's alive. Oh, He's alive, and He's well, and He's here for us. He died on that cross for us, didn't He? And this is a Fourth of July. I mean, this is a day of independence to celebrate independence, brother. But you know, we've been independent ever since Jesus went to that cross. But hallelujah, we can celebrate it. Yeah, go ahead. But I thank you for this country. I'm sorry that it's kind of in the shape that it's in now, but just remember, God's still in control. He always will be. But we always take time in the mornings, uh, Sunday mornings, for a time of prayer at this altar. Today's no different. There are a lot of people that have some special needs, or a lot of people that just want to come to the altar and pray and praise. And you know, praise is a big part of it. God loves our praises, and He hears our prayers. So as we Open this altar this morning, I ask you to remember some specific people, even though I'm not going to name a lot, I always mess up when I do, but my friend Gary Mitchell is still battling this cancer that hit him real quick, it was so sudden he knew nothing about it, so remember Gary and Jeannie as they battled this with God, and knowing, hoping that God's going to bring healing to Gary before anything else happens, and I think he will, because we're praying for him. And I think there's a lady named Shirley, I'm sorry, I'm feeling bad. Yeah, Shirley Winters, that's right. I was told this morning that she just went in, she's in the hospital for some heart condition. And we want to thank God for our pastor and his family while they were on vacation, a time of fellowship for him. And I know there's many others that are needing a healing touch. There are many others that need spiritual gain, that need spiritual uplifting that need revival within their hearts. So I invite you this morning and encourage you to come to this altar this morning, leave your cares here, bring your praises to God, for he is a God to receive. So once not you join me at this altar now? You may want to just stand at your seat, that's fine too. God knows our needs even before we ask. Father, again I come to you this morning in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I come thanking you, Father, for letting Jesus go to that cross to die for our sins and to give us that freedom that we have today. And I pray that we can keep that freedom. I remember when I read the scripture in Romans 8 38, regardless of what we go through, what we've been, what we've done, or what we're just regardless, nothing is going to separate us from God's love. And remember that. And that's if that's not enough to be thankful for, I don't know what else is. So, Father, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege that we have to come before you at this altar this morning and to lift the name of Jesus to bring praises, to lay our cares and our needs right here and leave them. Leave them at your feet. As your word tells us, we can ask anything in the name of Jesus, believing and it shall be given. And I know we believe, Father. So I know you hear our prayers, Father. So I thank you this morning that we're able to lay this stuff before you and walk away knowing as long as we seek you first in your kingdom all this other stuff will come to pass so father as you bring our services we'll bring our message this morning through Bill and through Alma I ask your anointing to be on each one of them anoint the musicians and the music this morning and what a wonderful day of celebration it is For we give you the glory for this day, Father. We give you the glory for every day. And I ask you and pray to you this morning in the name of Jesus that your will be done in this service today. And Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Come, Lord Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen.
4: time, we all stood on our own rocks.
2: We were chained to these rocks, sheltered by our own inhibitions and humanly flaws. They were obstacles in our lives and weights on our backs. And whether or not we wanted to, we ended up guiding ourselves down the paths of darkness in our own lives. We walked down them, stumbling and falling. Through this darkness, a great light came before us. It was present in that space, but we had to keep moving forward to reach it. We had to make the choice to grab on and hold tight to the hand that was reaching out to us. He pulled us off of our rocks and onto his solid rock, his word. He wrapped his arms around us to keep us from the harm of the shrapnel we had created. Now, we stand in victory with him, beside him, having overcome the things of this world that hold us back. Now, we are truly free, for it is in freedom that Christ has set us free.
0: He indeed has set us free, and I'm so glad this morning that his truth is marching on. Would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning, please? Reading from Romans chapter 10, the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they do not understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all the commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And do not say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it is in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them about without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. It was 245 years ago today that our forefathers declared their independence from England and established the United States of America. It was a a nation that was established under God with freedoms like no other nation in the world, none of which are any more important than the freedom we have to practice our faith and to worship God as we choose. We owe a great debt of gratitude to all of those who have gone before us, those patriots without whose fervor there could be no great nations, there could be no civilized societies, and there could be no America as we know it today. Our fathers worked hard to establish a free nation and one nation under God. And uh, today, many of the freedoms that we have, as you well know, are being threatened. Many people have turned their backs on God. However, I do believe that by God's grace and by our dedication to our faith, working together, we can ensure that we continue to be the nation whose God is the Lord. As Christians, we must do what we are called to do. John Wesley was the 18th century uh, Anglican priest who uh, was responsible for the great Wesleyan revival that swept throughout England and America, and at one point he put a man by the name of Thomas Coke on a boat to his on a ship, basically to his new assignment, which was to the United States of America. He was going to give leadership to the rapidly growing church in the New World. Tradition has it that John Wesley gave Mr. Coke only three words of advice. Those three words were "Offer them Christ." Offer them christ it's such simple but powerful words and such great wisdom for all of us today offer them christ as we examine this passage of scripture today from romans chapter 10 we see that paul is telling the christians in the most powerful and influential city rome on earth that there is no more important work than for them to do than to share their faith in jesus christ with others Verse 15 speaks to this importance. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The advice of John Wesley and the Apostle Paul is very relevant to us today. Paul is often referred to as one of the greatest patriots because he valued people more than he valued possessions. And he loved the nation of Israel. He knew the nation of Israel. He knew the people were headed in the wrong direction individually and as a nation. He was wise enough to know that to tell them he had to do it with great care. It's been my experience that people don't like to be told they're wrong. They don't like to be told that they're moving in the wrong direction. So Paul had to use great care in doing so as he was trying to present this message of Jesus Christ to the people that he loved so well. Over the years, I have seen so many evangelistic efforts that fail miserably because people with the right motives— have taken the wrong approach, causing people to react in in a negative way and causing them to turn away from the gospel. So we have to be really careful about how we approach people with our faith. And today, I believe in this passage of Scripture, that there are many lessons that we can learn, but there are three today that I want to share with you that I think uh, how Paul handled this situation that is applicable to us today. First of all, Paul is clearly deeply concerned about the people of Israel. He's deeply concerned about the people who do not know and who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't see them as statistics, but he sees them as individuals whose eternal salvation is at stake. He begins chapter 10, as I've just read, by saying, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer for God, to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. He wanted his people, the nation of Israel, to be saved. He recognized that, that Israel had lost touch with God. And you know as well as I do, any nation that loses touch with God will suffer the consequences. Paul was concerned about the spiritual and the moral values of his nation. He had come to a place in his life that he had, been, he had a deep and abiding faith in God. And because of his overwhelming love for his people— He wanted to make it right. He wanted to make them, show them how to have a right relationship with God. Out of his concern and deep love for them, he prayed fervently for him. That's the first thing. He prayed fervently, much as Daniel did in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel prayed for the nation of Israel to be delivered from the Babylonian captors. Paul's praise were positive. They were prayers of intercession for his nation and for the individuals, and his words were not impersonal. He made his words very personal when he prayed. In fact, when you read the passages in Romans chapter 9 through 11, and I won't read all those today, but when you read those, you'll understand that um, uh, you can sense the sincerity and the deep concern that Paul had for the people of Israel to turn back to God. He wanted the people of Israel to be saved, and I cannot think of anything better that we can do as Christians for each other than to pray for one another individually, and to pray for our nation, and to pray passionately as Paul did. His prayer was born out of a true burden for their misguided attempts to create their own righteousness. Their misguided attempts to create their own righteousness. If we are going to be, continue to be, as the United States, one nation under God, we need to be on our knees praying fervently. We need to have a burden for one another we need to have a burden for our nation we need to pray for our leaders we need to pray for each fervently for each other god's word says in second chronicles seven fourteen, and you've heard this many times if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will i hear from heaven and i will heal their land. Do you believe that today? I believe that with all my heart, that if we are on our knees and we're praying for our nation as, a, as, a, as Christians, God will heal our land. And we have, to, we have to hang on to that. And Paul understood this, and he wanted the people of, of uh, Israel to understand that as well. Secondly, today, there was no hint of superiority in Paul's remarks about the nation of Israel. He didn't have an attitude of, I have all the answers. He didn't have the attitude of, I am on a higher spiritual plane than you. Paul knew that his words would be insulting to the religious leaders because they did not want to believe they were wrong and they did not want to believe that they were guilty of any sin. So Paul knew he had to approach them with compassion. He had to, uh, how many times have we encountered people who have an air of superiority and a fighting spirit when it comes to their faith. And what does that do? That just drives people away. I've seen those attitudes many times over the years, and these are good people, but many uh, have felt that they have attained a higher level of spirituality and they could not possibly need anything else. It's a form of spiritual elitism, the kind that Paul was experiencing to a much greater extent with the zealots. But you know what? Paul had the right approach. He was, he was very humbly reliant on God. He, he was, his reliance was in God. Philippians 3.12 says this. Paul said, not that I have already obtained, nor am I already perfect. Nevertheless, he said in Philippians 4.9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace will be with you. He knew, as we know, that God would give him the words he needed so as not to appear spiritually elite and condescending. And if we are going to offer Christ, if we're going to show people Christ, then it must be done in a way the way that the apostle Paul did, with an attitude of humbleness and reliance upon God. We can't do anything without our reliance upon God. Spiritual elitism will certainly turn people away. Paul wanted to be like Jesus, who always approached people with humbleness, with love, and with compassion, and if we are going to offer people Jesus, we must follow his example. Jesus loved the sinner, but he hated the sin. How many times have we heard that? He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And you remember the story of the woman who was caught in adultery, and what did he say to her? He's kind of they were going to stone her, and he was just kind of down on his knees, writing something in the sand. Nobody really knows what that was. And then he looked up and he said. You who are without sin, throw the first stone. And what did they do? Did anybody throw the stone? No, they didn't. They dropped the stone to the ground and they walked away. And then Jesus looked at the woman and here's what he said. Your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. And oftentimes we hear the part where your sins are forgiven, but we forget about the part that says go and sin no more. And I imagine that changed that woman's life that day. Someone who shared their love and their compassion with her and offered her forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Finally today, Paul was not speaking from ignorance about his knowledge of the people of Israel. He was speaking from a deep understanding of the true position of the people of Israel. He he didn't stereotype their beliefs, nor was he speaking from inadequate research about the situation and about their condition. He knew he could speak on their behalf because he had lived it. He had lived it. He, like all Hebrews of his day, had kept the law trying to create his own righteousness before he had an encounter with Christ, with God. And he had even persecuted Christians. You know Paul, Saul, he persecuted Christians. In Acts 26, 4 and 5, Paul wrote, The Jews all know how I have lived, ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest of our religion, I was a Pharisee. He had experienced it. He didn't have to research. He had lived it. He knew. And he realized that he had been wrong. He realized he had been wrong and that Israel was wrong despite their enthusiasm for the law. Paul knew that their fervor for the law was deeply sincere, but he discovered that through his own experience that even though it was deeply sincere, it was sincerely wrong. And we run into that in our day today. You know, people who have zeal for their faith, but their faith is misguided. While zeal for God was great, and they had great momentum, because as Paul said, it was not according to knowledge. Paul said it was not according to... It was like a train that had gone off the tracks. It had gone off the tracks. Contrary to popular belief, both then and now, and I hope you hear this, both then and now, it does matter what we believe. And it does matter what we commit ourselves to because the consequences can either be great or they can be dire. It's your choice. Know what you believe in. Believe firmly. It's it's important. That, that you know what—it is important to know what you believe in. And this is why the Bible is so important. John 8, 31, 32, and 36 says this. Bible study is important. If you will continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. There's no greater freedom than that. We're celebrating freedom today, but there's no greater freedom than the freedom that we have in Christ. And I love that uh, verse 36 that says, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed, no matter what's going on in your life. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we read these words, and this is from the Message Bible because it just states it a little more clearly. So here is what I want you to do, God helping you take your everyday ordinary life and place it before god as an offering embracing what god does for you is the best you can do for him do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking instead fix your attention on god you will be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. The only way that we can truly, truly experience freedom and be freedom today is to fill ourselves with the truth of God's Word. The validity of everything around us, the validity, everything that happens around us needs to be measured by God's Word. It needs to be measured by what He has to say About every situation, I think the error of Israel also is to be seen that they are fundamentally ignorant of God's righteousness. Their ignorance robbed them of power. Their ignorance robbed them of peace. Their ignorance uh, ignorance robbed them of joy. The ignorance of which Paul speaks is not certainly not an academic illiteracy, but it's a basic failure to grasp the significance of what the Scripture says. The Scripture that they prized so highly. They prized the Scripture very highly. And Paul said they are ignorant even though they are informed. They knew the Scripture, but the way they applied it, they were uninformed. They were working diligently to establish their own righteousness, which none of us can do. They tried to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law, thinking it would bring life. And it would not bring life. It was impossible to keep the law, And it is impossible to keep the law in its entirety. Therefore, they were being condemned by the very law that they thought would bring life. They persisted, although they were perishing. Those were the words of Paul. So what they did not understand was that righteousness comes through our faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And that we are forgiven and made righteous because of that. Man's attempt to bring God to our level of thinking always fails. I love the passage of Scripture where it says, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. We try to bring God's thinking to our level, it's going to fail every time. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's gifted to us. It is a free gift, and that is why Paul said in this passage, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, meaning that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled the law by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he ended the era of the law and introduced the new era where men and women could be delivered from the hopeless task of fulfilling the law and could be invited to be saved through faith. The most important truth about our lives is that God loves us. And you know, that's the central message of the whole Bible. God loves us, and he wants a relationship with us. His love is unmerited, and his love is unchanging. You know, Paul did a lot of missionary journeys, but he he was not only a missionary. He was a true patriot that loved God. He loved his nation, and he loved the people, and he wanted them to come to the knowledge of, of the saving power of Jesus Christ, just as he had done. He knew the best gifts from God are free. The best gifts from God are free. God offers us a place in his family, he gives us guidance, he offers us a destiny to become like Jesus, and he guarantees that every event, even though we don't, may not understand it, he guarantees that every event, every event will result in our benefit. Paul wanted desperately for the nation of Israel to know that as well. And Paul said it best in Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think the message for us today is very clear. We simply need to pray earnestly every day for each other and for our nation and for our leaders of our nation. As M. Graham Lotz once said, don't wait until there's a national tragedy to pray for our nation. What does life in Christ do for us? What does it do for us? Romans 6, 22 says this, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. All of this, giving us the opportunity to live throughout eternity, singing with, with the throngs of of people who have gone on before us and the angels, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we offer the world Christ, who in turn offers eternal life in heaven, where the Lamb is the light, and where we will proclaim his holiness throughout eternity. Eternity in heaven is our goal, and we need to help as many of those around us to come to that saving knowledge so they too can have the eternal life. Here's what a little bit of heaven will be like. Alma, come and share with us.
2: Dream of a city called glory so bright and so fair, and as I entered through the gate. They carried me from mansion to mansion. All the sights I saw, but then I said, I just want to the one gates of that city. Jacob, I even talked with Mark and Timothy, but then I said, Timothy, this is all wonderful.
0: you, Alma. Thank you. I love you. Who would not want your friends and neighbors to know about heaven and to know how they can be there? And another thing, I know how to end a sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Alma, thank you so much for sharing from your heart. and um, I pray that we would all be burdened for our friends and family and for our nation as we move forward today you can know jesus christ as your lord and savior if you haven't already done that we want to give you the opportunity to do so maybe you'd like to rededicate your life to serving him and humbling yourself and praying uh, and asking god how you can make a difference to offer christ in this world and how to make our nation continue to be one nation under god Whatever, our, whatever your decision is, all of us are here to love you. We're here to pray for you. We're here to support you in that decision. And we invite you to come and help us show others who Christ is. You join as we sing an invitation hymn.
5: for me, I own no other master, my heart shall be thy throne, thy heart I hands for
0: thank you for being here today. Thank you for uh, sharing part of your 4th of July holiday. Well, no greater way than to be in church and celebrating the freedom that we have in Christ, and we're glad you're here. Just a couple of reminders. Uh, Wednesday night, we'll be back to our virtual Wednesday night. Todd will be back uh, in, in place And Wednesday and next Sunday. Also, Mary Rainwater has requested that if you uh, have, would like And have the time. Uh, Vacation Bible School starts next week, and she needs some more workers. And if you would call the church office or see Mary and let her know that you're willing to help, I'm sure that she would greatly appreciate that. You won't be having any questions today. You enjoy the time with your family celebrating uh, the rest of this day. But again, thank you for being here and and thank you for your love. We love you. All of us love you. And uh, if there's anything that any of us on staff can do, you let us know. We'll be happy to. If you have a question and we can't answer, we'll find the answer somewhere. But uh, thank you and God bless you all. We're going to sing a closing song. And I'm going to ask Alma uh, to join me out in the vestibule so you can greet her uh, on the way out today. Jay, lead us.
5: America, America, God you on thee, and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shore.